It's a psalm that is probably one of the most well-known chapters in the Bible. Psalm 23, written by King David. We hear it a lot, perhaps at funerals, quite often we do. But I believe it's well-known. I believe it remains on the hearts of so many people, largely for one reason. Yes, I'm not taking for granted it's the inspired Word of God. But I believe there's something about this psalm that captures our hearts. And what it captures is what we long for. And that is to walk closely with God. Think about it for a moment. It's not just walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But it's also having a table prepared for us. It's also surely goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives. All that God does in leading us and giving us his son Jesus speaks to walking with him. Look for a moment with me and I'm going to walk through these Rather quickly, but I want to lay a foundation for where we need to head today. Genesis 5, 22 through 24. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. If you read that chapter 5 of Genesis, you see the mention of many men and their families. But Enoch sticks out because it says of him multiple times he walked with God. Genesis chapter 6 records the life, the account of Noah. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Then in Malachi chapter 2, verse 6, um, God is speaking through this prophet, speaking to the descendants of the man that he's speaking about, Levi, the leader of the priest. He says, true instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. David is not the only psalmist that speaks of this walk with God. The very first psalm, verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Yes, it doesn't say walk with God, but there is a strong reference to not walking with God. The prophet Micah, you may be familiar with this one. It's an instruction to the people, the Israelites, on living as the people of God as they struggled. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. And what's it say? To walk humbly with your God. You see, throughout the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament, from the beginning of Genesis to the last words of Revelation, we see God's desire 
to walk with his people. In fact, his desire is to walk with his people, not just in certain moments, but in all moments in relationship. In fact, Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians church in the second letter to the Corinthians in Scripture, he's actually speaking of the pull of the culture of idols to lead us away from walking faithfully with God. And he he references back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 26. He says, he asks this rhetorical question, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? It's a rhetorical question. But he catches their minds and their hearts, and then he comes to them and says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. You see, Paul wanted to emphasize once again that walking with God is not about religion. It's not about a set of rules. It's about a relationship of learning, knowing, and loving God for all of his attributes, his character, and his work. Finally, in 1 John, the Apostle John in chapter 1, verse 6, speaks to the importance of walking in truth and fellowship. And he calls out hypocrisy among the church. And he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. It's interesting when we talk about walk we talk about walking with God. You know, in, in spiritual conversations in this culture, you will hear a lot of talking about a walk or a journey. You will hear a lot of talk about a faith journey or a, a, a spiritual experience. I want to make sure to be clear to you today. I am talking about the living God as we know as we come to and are right with because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is revealed to us in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not a fluffy, new age, whatever kind of feels good kind of spirituality. With that in mind, my question for us today is this. How would you describe your walk with God? Yeah, I know, it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Nobody likes to be asked that question. I think often we hear that question and we start to think about all the ways that we don't, we don't match up. We don't meet what we think are the requirements or what other people see in us. Now, the reality is, is that there are evidences of walking with God. There is fruit that should be seen in our life. But I can guarantee you if I stepped aside with every one of you, almost to a T, and if you asked me, most of us speak sheepishly and say, well, it's okay, but it's probably not what it should be. It's that guilt that begins to set in in our minds and our hearts. Part of what I want us to understand from Scripture today is that a walk with God is not a walk of arrogance. It is a walk of humility, but it is a walk of assurance. It is a walk of confidence. It is a walk knowing that it is not us. It is what God has done for us that allows us to walk with Him. And because of that, I ask the question again. I ask us to consider 
Would you, like Enoch, be described as a man or a woman who walked with God? Walking with God in New Testament times, after the death and the wonderful resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated last week. Walking with God, being made right with Him, is following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We see it, we've perhaps experienced it ourselves, is that there are ups and downs in this walk. There are hills and there's valleys. There's seasons when it's more challenging than others. But what Luke says in Luke 9.23, as he lays that invitation, which we read about multiple times throughout the Gospels, Jesus records, it is recorded of Jesus saying, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You got to walk to follow. You can't stay where you're at. You can't just expect Jesus to stay where you are at. As he says here, you must follow. Walking with God, I think, is sometimes made so complicated, and I'm guilty of it as much as anybody else. We talk about this, we talk about that. Walking with God is to follow in belief, belief of who Jesus is, our faith in Him. Walking with God is in relationship as I spoke of a moment ago, it's to know God and be known by God intimately. Not just by a list of to-dos or a list of rules, but speaking with God, kneeling at the throne of God, looking into the face of God. But it's about obedience, walking with God is. And I think one of the under, most underrated, unspoken, and actually thrown aside parts of walking with God is that it is not a solo journey. Often when we see people or we in our own lives say that, you know what, my walk with God is about me and God. Don't be surprised with that attitude in that heart. Your walk is simply you. You see, the very church that God created, that Jesus established, built on the confession of Peter the Apostle, was about community. Stories right here in these baptismal waters today, particularly Buck's story. I can't tell you the number of names he reeled off to me as we sat over lunch. And he said, this man, and this man, and this man. And I remember looking into his eyes and I said, Buck, do you realize the kind of gift God has given you? You have men in all different walks of life, different professions, different experience, different seasons of life. And God's giving you a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Praise God, you surrendered. Michael Kelly, an author of a small little book called Creating a Discipleship Pathway, says this, Walking with God and Jesus is the life of discipleship. I don't know where or when the church as a whole in America decided that it was not very good necessarily to talk about a life of discipleship. 
I don't know if it's the weaving in of new age philosophy and spirituality. I don't know if it's laziness or apathy by those in the church. I'm not sure why. But somewhere along the way, I believe we've become very apologetic about walking faithfully with God. I know we want to. I know the desire is there. Sometimes, somehow we feel like it gets legalistic. Yeah, it can. We all know that. But I want you to hear my heart today. This is not about legalism. This is not about you or I doing anything just because somebody else told us. It is about responding to the love and the blessing and the hope and the redemption and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is about. And so I want us to take a few moments today. And I want us to think, really think and consider what it means to walk faithfully with God. Let me just say, there's no same way by everyone. Yes, there are truths and principles that we read in Scripture that talk about being in relationship with Jesus as the way and the truth of life. But we come at it with different baggage, don't we? We come at it with different experiences, sometimes even spiritual abuses. We come at it with hurt and pain. And all the while, God says, walk with me. Walk with me. The old hymn, and he walks with me and he talks with me. What's he telling? That I am his own. I remember singing that song with a lady in a nursing home when we lived in Oxford, outside of Oxford. And I don't remember her name. You remember her name, honey? Oh, my gosh. Most horrible voice ever. (laughs) But this woman belted it. I could hear it in her voice as she sat in a nursing home in her final years of life. It's what she clung to, walking with God. Walking with God. How do we continue to walk faithfully? This is not an indictment on how anyone is walking with God right now. Please hear me. But this is, this is for us to consider as a body of believers. Is that if we want to live out what God is calling us to. We have to continue to take steps with God. Through the hills and the valleys and the seasons and the surprises of life. You see, walking with God is not simply jumping uh, onto a path and saying, Hey, Jesus, you want to come with me? You see, that's the wrong premise because we think we're in charge. We think we're leading. And really, it's us saying, No, Jesus, how do you want me to follow you? I don't want us to be a people who only walk faithfully with God when the pressure is on. I want people to see in you, in me, as God uses us to see people that don't carry Jesus around in a backpack, pull him out when we need him, and stuff him back in there, and make sure he's close to us for whenever we call on him. You see, it's the opposite. It is us being obedient every step of the way. And I know, I know what's happening, even as I lay out this word of God, is the guilt, the shame. Oh, I, just, I just don't do it very well. Well, probably not. I don't either. But if we are to be the people of God, and people are to see Jesus in us when we lose our job, when we, we want to see people see Jesus in us when our finances are overwhelming and our debt is consuming, 
If we want to see people, if we want people to see Jesus in us, in every relationship, whether it's a marriage of 30 years or those who are just engaged, congratulations, by the way. I want people to see in us, in me, Jesus. In the midst of grief, in the midst of parenting, See, Paul talks about this. He says, in 1 Corinthians, he speaks of the running the race well. But then also the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And he speaks back to the cloud of witnesses before us. And he says, now let us fix our eyes on, anybody know? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I ask of you today, seriously consider your walk with God. Consider your walk with God. Reflect on your walk with God. And say, how might I grow closer with God? I want to talk about a couple of what I think and have seen are inadequate approaches. In fact, um, this man, Michael Kelly, uh, points out some of these and I think they're really good. I think they're very appropriate for how we often walk with God or seek to. And this first one actually is about achieving. It's what I, I kind of have tagged myself as a positional approach to walking with God. So if you would imagine a stepladder, see my stepladder? And it's an imagine of a stepladder that it's about what rung you are on, what position you're in. And so um, you take perhaps a good step in your faith. You walk with God and you, you nurture that in your life, but then it all becomes about the fact that you are on rung one. And that's the goal. Yeah, maybe you work a little harder, you try a little harder, and you even work yourself up to rung three. The problem with this in discipleship is that what it begins to do is cause us to only celebrate certain achievements. It also leads us, I know me, leads me, particularly when God is bringing conviction on my heart. If it's all about achievement, what's very easy to say is, oh, come on, God, really? I'm on rung three. What about all the people on rung two and rung one? Why are you picking on me? We start to position ourselves in our walk with God based on everybody else except ourselves. That's why it doesn't work. That's why it should not be how we approach walking with God. It becomes a mastery of a new skill or it becomes an accumulation of knowledge and it's based solely on achievement. Now let me pause for a moment. I'm all about celebrating and recognizing. Scripture teaches us to do that as people walk with God. We should do that. But if it solely becomes simply for a level that has been attained, then I absolutely believe that we have missed our mark. Here's the other aspect about the positional model. The few times in my life when I have learned more about God and myself to where it has equipped me for life, you know what I realize usually? The more I know, the less I know. 
The more I learn, the less I know. The more I think I've mastered something in my walk with God, I look back and I say, oh my gosh, I do not know anything. But my heart is willing not just to master something. My prayer is that our hearts are willing not just to master something. Look at Peter. I mean, he's standing before rebuking Jesus of all things. I would never, ever. I've mastered that, Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. Yeah. Peter was thrown off the third or fourth rung pretty quickly, wasn't he? If it was all about mastery, Peter would have walked away from Jesus that day. But it wasn't. It was about walking with God and faithfulness. Look with me. Another aspect of this that I think is so crucial for us to understand because often we want to make our discipleship, our walk with God, we want to make it formulaic. We want to break it down in this, this, and this. And it's not that structure is a bad thing, but we take out the work of the Holy Spirit. And let me just remind us today, it is only by the work of the Spirit in our lives that we can take any steps in walking closer with Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, as he's talking about this division in the church, in fact, he's creating a case for what is leading to the division. He says this, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may, what's the word there? Understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by us us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And the, the case that Paul begins to make and then shares a little bit later is that there was this kind of division that broke out. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And Paul says, you know why you're doing that? It's because this is about your human accomplishment and achievement, not about the Spirit of God and being obedient. That's why the achievement model, the positional model, it always fails. But I want to talk about one other one. And it's what I would refer to as a compartmentalized model. I remember early on in my walk with Jesus is that there would be certain areas that I would really truly try to learn and grow. But I would tend to compartmentalize it. This is also kind of referred to as the what's next, where like you tackle one thing and then you, you accomplish it and then you jump to something else. And then you jump to something else. It's, it's like going to a Bible study in room 101 um, and it's a men's and women's Bible study combined. And it's, it's on the book of Hebrews. And you spend weeks and weeks studying the book of Hebrews and you're done. And you say, okay, what's next? Oh, let's go out and serve. Let's go out and do this. And so you set which, aside what you learned and studied in Hebrews, set it aside and went to serve. You see, that's not how we walk with God. It weaves together. God is a builder. Scripture tells that over, us that over and over, one upon the other. So it's in studying the word of Hebrews is that then we go out serving in mind of what we learned and what we have gained in that knowledge and applying it. It's not a compartmentalization where we do this, do this, do this, and do this. To be compartmental does not involve relationship. I think that's where I was early in my walk, is it was very much about 
okay, I'm going to walk with Jesus in this area of my life. I'm not ready there yet, Jesus, so let me just do this one. Felt good about myself? No, Jesus says every part of it. Every part of it. We have to learn to surrender that. But I want to propose to us today as a church, as we begin to walk forward in something that I have no doubt is going to make some of you uncomfortable. Um, Let's take a look at Scripture and build a base for this. Ephesians 4. Look with me on the screen. Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, this is verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, don't freak out here. Prisoner, I know, doesn't sound like a really appealing term. (laughs) Okay. Really what Paul, in using that term, is getting out is that we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are slave servants of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. So there's not a burden. There is not a, um, a, a weight. There is a freedom in that. But what Paul has done, building up to this chapter and moving forward, is he's speaking to over and over again of living in response, a life worthy to what God has done. Let me give you a bit of a picture of that. In chapter 1, he speaks to the blessings and hope of salvation given by God. In chapter 2 and 1, he speaks of how we've been united in Christ, in his resurrection and exaltation. In other words, old life, new. He also speaks in Ephesians is that we've become members of God's household. We're no longer orphans. We're no longer those left out without a family. In fact, we are now a temple of God. In chapter 3 of Colossians, he actually speaks of this calling into one body, the church. And then in chapter 3, he says this. He says, you have been divinely, you have been given a divine ordination by the Spirit of God, to participate in the purposes of God. Chapter 10, verse 3. Church, living a life worthy of the calling is not about earning salvation. This is after receiving salvation. See, none of us are worthy, but God offers it to us anyways. But once we have received of the gift of God, the grace of God, we now then have a great privilege and a great responsibility to walk and live a life worthy. I pray we won't be numb to this. God didn't know any of it to us, yet he gave it to us. So the question then becomes, how do we walk in maturity, in unity in that? It is because of God's saving work that we can live a life worthy of the calling. I'll say it again, this is not an indictment on how anybody's living right now. That's up to God, your relationship with Him. But what I tell you is that in my role as one of your pastors... I've been charged to lead us in such a way that we would walk faithfully with God. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to fail from time to time. But my prayer is that we will be more sure than ever about who we are becoming like. We will be more sure than ever 
of how we are making progress. And a lot of New Age spirituality, I would say even religion, even though they wouldn't say that, is that walking with God is this very fluffy, this you can't really get a hold of any of it, and it is so just kind of there. And it's based primarily on how you feel. What I want us to embark on in walking faithfully with God is a confidence and assurance and not being afraid to be held accountable. Not being afraid to say, I'm walking with God, but I sure want to be closer. I realize that is fearful for some of you because that has been abused in your life before. What we are about to embark on is not intended to embarrass anyone. But what we're about to embark on will be a way for us together as a community of God in this place to be able to know that we are headed together in a direction to become more like Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship once in my life. Susan and I went on our honeymoon. Um, some good friends of mine, really good friends, after they bought half of the cruise for us, um, they said, will you pay for the other half? And I'm like, yeah. So we went on a four-day cruise to the Bahamas, said we'd go back in five years. It's been almost 27, not been on a boat since. So, um, kids, that's not your fault, okay? I'm just telling you. <laughs> oh, they love it when I do that. It's not their fault. But I remember being on the deck and looking out. And once you're out, you're out of port and you're out there. And you start looking around and you see nothing but water. Nothing but water. Now, I know with some of the latest stories of cruises, this is not really good. But, um, uh, but you're out there. And if you know... What they're supposed to be doing is that they're not looking and seeing land because there's no land to see. But you know that they have either and, either or, or both, a compass, modern technology, a GPS that is guiding us in the direction that we need to go. And so as I'm standing there looking out, I wasn't panicking. Oh my gosh, which way are we headed? They knew. They knew of the sureness of the direction based on a compass. We have a compass in our spiritual lives that assures us of the direction we're headed. It's Jesus Christ. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our direction cannot be based simply on human standards. We've talked about measures before. We will continue to talk about measures, markers of progress, which I'll speak to in a moment. But I want to look at Ephesians 4.13 and remind us of this verse that we have looked at quite a bit in the last six months. Paul says, as he's speaking of the church equipping one another, particularly those who are, are pastors and teachers and apostles, says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become more mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Not one another. We can provide encouragement and capability. We can speak to our experiences. But we're never pointing people at ourselves. We're always pointing people to Jesus Christ. That's what it is to walk with God. 
Remember those Israelites? They wandered around the desert for 40 years. Have you ever been in a woods and it's so dark, even, uh, or it's so thick, even the canopy doesn't allow you to look at the sun to see which direction to go, if you have that ability? And, and it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? I don't want to look back on our lives spiritually and say, you know what, we wandered around, yes, some good things happened, but you know what, we were aimless. We were aimless. And this is where we can't be apologetic, church. We can't be apologetic about saying, I want to grow in Jesus. Not because I want to be arrogant about it, but because I want more people to know Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. Thank God for the people that bucks all Jesus in. Now, I know without a doubt that there are times it can be aimless and it can just be survival mode. I don't want to live that way. I don't want us to live that way as a church. There's a young lady in this church who, um, in the last several months, uh, experienced an injury. And this young lady, I know her um, reasonably well. And I remember when she underwent, um, uh, she hurt herself. It was an accident. And I remember that um, it there was some real sadness at that time. She wasn't going to be able to play sports. She was not going to be able to do the social things, at least for some time that she was going to do. It kind of wrecked all the plans. Now, we can look at teenagers and say, oh, yeah, that's too bad for them. You know what? Adults, we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing, just different stuff. And I remember when this happened to her. And I remember praying for her. God used this, even her sadness and her loss, that she would know you more. Now, as spiritual as that sounds, you don't usually go around telling people that, right? I ran into her mother and her a few weeks ago at an event. And she's sitting there in the chair watching the event. And at one point, she turned around and I said, how you doing? And I'd had interactions with her since then. She said, I'm good. And I felt like she was being sincere. And a little bit later, her mom, she and I, her mom and I had been talking, and her mom said to me, she said, Dan, and she kind of whispered this, because I don't think she wanted her daughter to realize that she was wishing the accident on her. She said, we would have never, ever wished what has happened to her. But I just want to tell you, it's been so good. It has led to a reprioritization in some things. And I looked at the mom and I said, I pray for that. <laughs> you see, we, we walk with God and we see things come into our lives. And I don't want us to be people that say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? No, I want to say, oh my gosh, what an opportunity to walk God with God through this. What an opportunity to learn about God in a new way. One other thing before I share ultimately this tangible piece is I've been in a really, really painful effort to lose weight. Everybody tells you when you hit 40 and 45, it gets harder. Oh my gosh. It's horrible. But I have a really good friend and it's on my wrist. It's a Fitbit charge. And I learned early on that I needed this. Yeah, you can call me lazy, lack of discipline, whatever. So like this morning, I've walked 5,475. 
but I didn't have it on when I came out to the baptistry and back, so I'll add that later. But anyways, um, it's hard. I need every step I can get. But what I've learned about this thing, and it's sad that I'm so dependent on it, but you know what was happening for some time, and I'm trying to eat better and all of that, what was happening for some time is I'd go through the day and I'm like, oh man, I'm tired. I must have walked a lot of steps today. I'm sure I'm good. I'll start again. I've hit my 10,000. I'm sure I'm good. Well, then when I started wearing this thing and seeing, oh, it was pathetic. But I tell you, it marks my progress. And it helps me. It pushes me and reminds me what I need to be reminded of. Why should our spiritual lives be any different? Church, we've got to stop being apologetic about being intentional about walking with God. Yeah, don't, don't go around, I'm on rung four, I'm on rung three. No, that's not it. But celebrate that God has given us measures. That's why we've established measures as a church. A heart devoted to God, a mind devoted to the truth, knees devoted to prayer, mouth devoted to encouraging, hands devoted to caring, and feet devoted to going. And we are going to celebrate them because the Spirit of God is leading us to measure so that we might walk closer with Him. So let me tell you what this means. I want to look, we haven't looked at this in a few weeks, our vision as a church. By 2026, our church will follow a pattern of spiritual formation in one another that brings hope to broken lives and where individuals and families will pass on a spiritual heritage. You've heard me say it before, Josh, Colleen, we've all said it before. They're just words on a page, unless we live it. It can sound good, it can look good on letterhead, it doesn't mean a thing until we live it. And so leadership continues to lean into how do we live it. So here's how we're going to live specifically the part of spiritual formation. If I don't have this, I don't know where I'm starting and where I'm at. And so we, over the next months, are going to introduce a spiritual assessment to this congregation. Don't panic, please. We are not going to post everybody's results for everybody to go and look and see. But it will help us as we look at how we believe individually and collectively about spiritual doctrine and truths, about practices that we commit to in our lives. And it will give us, and it's a human tool, it's not perfect, but it will give us an indication of where we can grow spiritually. Can you just imagine what God is going to do with that? So transparency. I took, the, I took the assessment again. Uh, I'd taken it once. They did some updating. I took it again last week. This is really funny. You know what my low one is? There's several markers, Bible engagement, so on. My lowest one is sharing Christ. <laughs> but it's true. You know why? Because I hang out with Christians all the time. Now, I like doing that. So the other day, walking getting some exercise, going down my road. There's a house on my road. And there's a young couple that lives there with some kids. I don't know them really well. I've met them. And I absolutely believe it was the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. You need to invite them to church. Oh, really, God? And you know what I thought of as soon as that popped into my mind? I thought of the assessment. Assessment. 
hey, remember? This is an opportunity for you. And I have no idea where they're at spiritually. No idea. They may be engaged in another uh, spiritual community. Praise God. God will lay someone else in my heart. But the point is, is we can walk and kind of think we're doing okay with things. And that's fine. But let's be more intentional about it. And so I know this is scary for some. It's an online assessment. It's taken in about 15 minutes. Here's the good news. Every one of the staff members, every one of the elders, the equipping ministry team, there's about 20 of us, we've all taken it. So ask Josh what his weak area is. I did. Um, (laughs) We want to model it. We want you to know we're not afraid of this either because we know we have areas to grow in. But I want us to understand that we have to find tangible ways to take these steps. We can come and we can play church every week and we can hold lots of events. But if we are not growing to be more like Jesus, we are going to realize in 10 to 15 years we're on our deathbed that it did not matter. I do not want to lead a church. I don't want to be a part of a church where all the events don't matter. What I want is in those events, people to see you, people to see me, and they say, there's something about them. Let me tell you what it is. It's Jesus. He wrecked my life. He made me, took my oldness and made me new. That's what I want for the kingdom of God. And so here's what I'm going to ask even as some of you may be nervous about this, we have a God-sized, big, audacious goal of 250 people from this church, junior hires and up, to take the spiritual assessment and then walk together in growing in Jesus. And there's some very specific things that will help us do that will be as a result of a report that we will receive after we take this. And we want to do it in relationship No one will take this and not have somebody to talk to and say, well, I'm not sure how to go about this. We're going to walk together. Those of you in one another groups, you're going to do this as a group. Those of you in ministry teams, that's an opportunity for you to do. Those of you that aren't in either of those, guess what? We're going to find somebody to walk with you because we want you to learn and grow. Now, my prayer is that next week there's not 30 people here in church because we're scared. We're still going to do it. We're still going to do it. Because I want it to be said of us, they walked with God. Father God, as we close out in worship this day, as we consider what you've laid before us, God, we know it's a tool. We know it's, it's not everything, and it shouldn't be, because it's not you, Jesus but it's a way for us to tangibly walk more closely with you. It's a way for us to evaluate and look and see where we're at and where we're headed. And God, I would pray, and I cannot wait to see what you'll do with this, God. Because Holy Spirit, we want you to be a part of every assessment that's taken. Every look at a report to see how we can grow. God, I would ask that you would teach us things anew about yourself and your son. And that only for the benefit of your kingdom, 
that people would say they walked with God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.